0: Good morning, everybody. I'm glad that you're here on this uh, beautiful day. And as Mike mentioned, we are continuing in our series that we're calling for, on this, for the summer vitals, some, uh, some important topics for us to look at. And we're taking four topics and spending kind of like two weeks on each topic to fill out the, the summertime. And last week we did uh, talk about uh, the marriage relationship specifically as it relates Uh, to being a husband. And uh, we had a great response uh, to those of you uh, guys who are interested and picked up a copy of the book, uh, Play the Man uh, by Mark Batterson. Uh, Those of you who signed up and indicated you might be interested in the discussion group, the one-night discussion group that will happen on that when you signed up, you should have gotten an email from me this week uh, as long as we have your email cr- uh, address correctly and I typed it in correctly, then you should have received an email from me this week saying that was gl- you know we were glad uh, that you were interested. And uh, we'll get the details to you about that discussion group. Uh, Dan Arbeiter, our executive pastor, will be getting those to you. But uh, there are more books available. We ran out last week. There are more books available in the lobby. Remember, those are free to you. And so you can just pick one up. And, uh, and hopefully it'll be a real blessing to you as you grow into, as the subtitle says, the man that God created. Uh, Created you to be. So we we talked about last week uh, as husbands that our call, the charge, the call that, that that God has on our lives for those of us who are husbands is that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And so the way of love is that it is sacrificial. It's effectual, means mean, meaning it has an impact on that wife that we have. It's caring and it's also unbreakable. And the ultimate model for that, of course, our love for our wives is the person of Jesus. As oftentimes it is in Scripture, whatever we do, we're doing things in the way of Jesus because we're called to be followers of his, to walk in the footsteps of him and to exp- uh, not only to express his character, but also live out some of those competencies because he's filled us with this Holy Spirit so that we can do that, not in our own strength, not in our own ability, not because of our particular uh, great spiritual orientation, but because instead he has given us his Holy Spirit and we can do that. So guys, I hope you're, you know, again, leaning in uh, to that challenge. If you remember, I, I, I shared with you last week that this, this, uh, this whole um, idea of, of what it means for us to, to live in these relationships with each other is, is based on uh, a passage of Scripture in, in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 18, and then on through verse 21, and then we're picking it up in chapter 6, verse, uh, verse 4 today. And there in Ephesians five eighteen you can see on the top of your notes, it says, we're not called to be drunk with wine, but instead to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, there are some resulting behaviors that come as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Those are found in verses 19 and 20 when, it, when Paul goes on to say to the Ephesians that they are to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the, the three things that come out of those two verses are, and we, we talked about these last week, that we are to be in spiritual community, community with one another, but community that is driven by speaking to one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, which leads us into that kind of that second aspect of, our, of, our, of these resulting behaviors of a spirit-filled uh, community is that we have a sense of heartfelt worship, not worship out of duty or obligation or a rote ritual sort of uh, manufactured something, but it's a heartfelt worship. We are singing to him with, with sincere hearts. We also see in this passage that there is an attitude uh, a, a conti- of a continuous gratitude that we are giving thanks always. And then the fourth thing, that, that resulting behavior of being filled with the Holy Spirit that I reminded you of last week, was this idea that we, of mutual submission, it was uh, according to verse 21, that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That word that we translate into our English Bibles, submit, is the word hupotasso. And I told you that it's really a military term, and the military term simply means to arrange in, a, in troop divisions under the command of a leader. And so oftentimes in Scripture it's submission, subordination, subjection, that, that kind of an idea. But I, interestingly enough, When you you look at the non-military use in the ancient world, the non-military use, and I mentioned this to you last week, it refers to this voluntary attitude of, of giving in of cooperating, of, of assuming responsibility and carrying a burden. And so this idea of mutual submission and what it really means carries through in all of the relationships that Paul is going to talk about after this passage when he talks about husbands and wives, children and parents, and in fact, even to the institution of slavery at that time that was in existence with slaves or bond servants and their masters. So we talked about what it meant to be spirit-filled Husbands last week, spirit-filled, spirit-filled husbands who embrace this idea of mutual submission, even in, in providing that spiritual leadership to the wife that God has given them. And so today, we're going to talk about spirit-filled parents Not, again, not parenting based on what we think is best, not parenting based upon our own intellect, our own abilities, our own strength, our own insights. Not that those things are necessarily wrong, but living out this idea of what it means to be a spirit-filled parent. And so I'm gonna just pray for a second and then we're gonna jump off uh, and and just take a look at at what God has to speak to us today. Father, we thank you for uh, your incredible grace we thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. And God, today, as we, as we look into it, we pray that you would be our teacher, that God, it wouldn't just be what I have to say, but instead it would be what your Holy Spirit would want to teach us today. And we pray, God, that as we, as we uh, look at this uh, call upon parents, that it would be one again, Lord, that is not about uh, getting beat up about what we're not doing but that we could just have an honest assessment and understanding of what your call to us is and where we might, Lord, need to make some changes in how we live this out in our everyday lives. And so we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, as you can see in your, uh, on the back of your notes, if you, see, uh, if you notice, and I don't oftentimes do this, uh, but I have three different translations there because it kind of gives you the full picture of what I believe Paul's original intent as he was inspired by God to write to the Christians there in Ephesus uh, many years ago was. You can see in the, in the Common English Bible, it says, As for parents, don't provoke your children to anger, but raise them with discipline and instruction about the Lord. In the NIV, the 1984 version, it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And uh, Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of the message, says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them, but take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the Master. Some of you might be uh, asking yourself, well, you know, is this really a call for fa- to fathers only and to, parent, or to parents at large? And I think a, a couple of things. Number one, I would suggest this, that even if it was specifically only a call to fathers, uh, that, that, that still doesn't mean that, that those same principles wouldn't apply for those of you who are serving as a mother in a particular family. Secondly, it seems that the plural of this word, uh, the word is, uh, the root word of the word that we have here is pater, which is father. It literally means father. But when it's plural, pateres, it may mean parents instead of simply fathers. For your reference, if you want to do some study in Colossians 3... Verse 20 and Hebrews 11, verse 23, it seems that in the ancient usage, that it was more likely, uh, or uh, could mean, uh, depending on the context, parents, it could mean fathers. And so I would suggest to you that it could mean parents. I'm taking it to mean parents. Uh, in Hebrews 11:23. it's the reference uh, to when Moses was hidden for three months by his parents. And the, it's the same word, pateres. And so, of course, Moses didn't have multiple fathers, but he had multiple parents. And so it could mean parents, it could mean fathers, um, but I think the, the same principles exist whether we, it's technically addressing only the dads there at Ephesus or he's addressing the parents. So that's just, uh, as I'm moving through this, I'm going to take it to mean parents and we're going to take a look at this, this goal and this challenge that we have. So, as I said last week about being a husband, number one, I realize that there are some of you sitting here today, that aren't parents. I recognize that. I fully understand that. And when we take a narrow topic like this, I understand that to us in, a, in a way that people are excluded. I, I appreciated There were a couple of people who uh, came up and interacted with me after last week's service and said, and uh, one of them was a woman, and so obviously she wasn't a, a, a husband. And so she was talking to me, about, hey, you know, you don't have to apologize because there were things I was learning as we, you were going through that. And so I hope there is that factor that God is continuing to speak to those of you even who aren't serving as parents in this uh, time of your life. And then secondarily, just a reminder that some of you may be parents someday, and so these are are good things for you to learn. And then the, the second big thing I wanted to share is just like I said to the dads last week, listen, I don't have all this parenting stuff figured out. You know, Rick Warren who has, uh, you know, under, the, under God's empowerment and leadership has led a, a great ministry in Southern California known as Saddleback Church. Some of you may have been familiar with some of his writings that were a little bit in the past, like a, around the purpose-driven sort of model. And he, uh, and when, when people would ask him about all, how the church became, you know, such a great, huge church, he's like, listen, the book I should write is how to not grow a church because we made so many mistakes. And those of you who are parents know that, right? That we make a ton of mistakes as we go about this. And as I share this calling that comes out of Ephesians 6:4 here this morning of what God's called parents to be, I recognize that, remember, we're never going to be perfect, but we can be developing. We're not going to be the perfect example for our children, but we can be a living example. We're going to talk a little bit about and it's, gonna, it's really going to just boil down to these, these uh, and as it relates to, two, uh, to being a spirit-filled parent, it's kind of like just two things. <laughs> it's something first to avoid, and then it's going to be something second that we can engage in. So let's look at the avoidant, the, what we're called to avoid. So spirit-filled parents, to, the, to them, Paul writes this, don't provoke your children to anger. The NIV says, don't exasperate your children. The word is a, is a, is a, is a pretty um, powerful word. It's the, it's the word parogidzo. Uh, now, the, the, just to break this up a little bit. So para means kind of like to come alongside, okay? And orgidzo, the, the orgidzo means to anger or irritate. Its root word is orge, which is wrath, anger as a state of mind. And so parogidzo means to anger alongside. Uh, that is to enrage someone. To provoke them to wrath, to provoke them to, and, and specifically as I was doing some study on this particular word, to provoke them to a violent or a bitter anger, to exasperate them. It is, uh, according to, again, the, the understanding the etymology and trying to do the, the grammar study, study of it, it is to be so angry that one is, and you've, you've used this term, beside herself or beside himself. You've, used it, you've heard that term used. I'm so angry, I'm beside myself, right? It's kind of like you're out of your mind. That's the kind of anger that Paul is referring to here. Now, it's not just or gay alone. In fact, at times, or gay is, we have to understand that anger is a natural part of what it means to be a human being. What Paul is saying here, he's talking about to provoke someone to such a violent, bitter anger is such a frust- place of frustration, such a place of exasperation in their lives that they find themselves almost feeling like they're, they're out of their mind as they're dealing with their parents. So it kind of begs the question, right, how does this happen? If it's something we should avoid, then we may need to know how it is that we exasperate our kids. How do we provoke them to anger? Now, I understand, again, I'm, I'm a father of three. I have adult kids now, so I don't have kids living in the home. But I, I can guarantee you that there, uh, it doesn't mean that there aren't opportunities for me as a parent of adult kids to exasperate my children. And those of you who are parents of adults, you understand that. So this isn't just I, understand, I recognize that the, that, the, the that initial understanding when we think of active parenting is when those, those children are still living in the household. I get that. And it definitely is a different dynamic when they're out on their own and, all, and everything. But I would suggest to you that that parent-child relationship still exists. And these principles that come out of Scripture are still very applicable, whether your child is 2, 7, 37, 57, or whatever it might be. If you have a relationship with a, with a child, it's still, these principles are still things that we can understand and apply. Now, I said last week, when we talked about husbands' caring for their wives, the one of the things that we need to understand is how does our wife need for us to care for her? Every woman is unique. Every woman's needs are different. Yes, there are some general things that we could kind of stereotypically say that individuals need, but the way in which you exasperate your kids might be, that, that the way in which they kind of in, in, um, um, experience that would might be very different than the way I, in which I would exasperate my kids. So I, I just want you to think along with me. I'm going to have some suggestions here, as, and, and maybe you want to jot some of them down if they kind of like, met, you're like, well, I can see where I've done that to my kid, but I, uh, but I, I don't want to suggest that the list that I'm about to share is comprehensive in any way. I would say that this, as it relates to causes of exasperation, one way in which we do this is we don't teach our children the proper way to express their anger. Sometimes you get frustrated, bitter, seething anger where you're out of your mind because your parents haven't allowed you to be able to express your anger in a healthy way. So one of the ways in which, it sounds ironic, one of the ways in, in which we can help our kids to not be exasperated and be beside themselves angry is to learn how to properly express their anger. If we, if, we, if we just tell, now don't get mad, now don't get mad, now don't slam that door, now don't throw that toy, now don't pull out of the parking lot and, you know, and floor the car, whatever it might be. If it's only about suppressing it, It's really not leading them to be able to deal with it. Now, we have to help them to deal with anger in a healthy, not a dysfunctional way, but it's important for us to allow our children to express their anger in healthy ways. I think a second way in which we have the tendency to exasperate our kids is our hypocrisy and double standards. We expect something from them that we ourselves are not living out. We we expect them to communicate in a particular manner, but the way in which we see they see us communicate to our neighbors to our spouse to their siblings at work if they're seeing something from us that doesn't line up you know that old phrase right we maybe uh, many of us might have heard it from our parents do as i say not as i do is not a jesus uh, jesus way of parenting mantra That doesn't elicit obedience, but it elicits that frustration, that exasperation. And so a kid could become very angry about the fact that there's this double standard, that you're expecting something from me as your kid that you're unwilling to live out. And believe me, I understand that kids can be super manipulative. I get that. And I also understand that their radar is up very high looking for us to make a mistake. And that's why all of this has to have this incredible supernatural empowerment and grace has to lay over top of it all. Or it's all going to crumble down, right? What about speaking for our kids, thinking for our kids, and feeling for our kids? In other words, not allowing them to grow in that who they are in their identity. One of the things that I do when, uh, in, in premarital counseling inventories is I talk about uh, what kind of a family the that the, the couples grew up in. And, it, and, I, and I ask, and, and part of the inventory they take before they meet with me is that it's something that leads to a, a plotting of a point on something called a family map. The family map is, a, is basically, it's just got kind of two axes, and, and one is on the, the issue of connectedness and one is on the issue of flexibility. And in other words, it's saying, how flexible was your family? Was it super rigid, rigid, or was it like completely chaos? You never knew what the rules were. They seemed to change all the time. And of course, we're looking for a balance in that, right? Not that it's so rigid that there was never any, any compromise, never any communication. And the other axis is on connectedness. And here's the way I describe connectedness. Is in your family, was it all about the last name or was it all about the first name? In a healthy family, it's about both, right? In a healthy family, people understand, listen, it's not all about you. This is the riddle for me, the riddle family. And so you need to embrace that idea that it's something bigger than just you. But at the same time, as the leader of that family, I need to understand that it's not only all about the last name that Carrie matters, Elijah matters, and Malachi matter matters. Those are my three kids. And so understanding that and helping our kids to to realize that they have value and worth and identity and importance individually as it relates to the whole, it's not just the sum of parts, right? But they do have worth and value individually. One of the ways we exasperate our kids is simply when we're not present, when we're not there. I understand like you, like many of you sitting here, I can work really long hours as well. And sometimes in the midst of trying to be a parent, now again, I'm in a different place in my life. I'm not coming home to kids who want to be with me. It's a different thing. Different thing. But I do have kids who want to be with me. And sometimes for me, just being honest, the text or the phone calls don't come as often as they should from me to them. Because maybe I'm just drained. Maybe I'm just tired. Maybe I just got done with a long day of work and the gym and everything else and I'm thinking about other things going on and I don't take the time and then all of a sudden I say to myself, man, it's been three weeks since I said anything to Malachi. How in the world does that happen? For those of you who have kids at home, you know the even greater challenge that it is when you're facing, be feeling worn out, burned out, spent, and you come home and that seven-year-old, seven-year-old who has boundless Energy simply wants you. There's always another email to check. I get it. There's always another file to look at. There's always something else that we could be doing, but they need us to be present with them. I walked into a restaurant not too long ago, and and, and please hear this. I'm I'm not judging. I hope you hear my heart in this. I walked in this restaurant, young dad sitting there, and his, the little girl is under two, I'm guessing. And dad and daughter not interacting at all. He's in that pose, you know the pose, right? And she's got a screen in front of her. And I think, man. Man. The destructive nature of everything that keeps us from being present with our families, right? And I get it. We all need time, and I'm not arguing to get rid of all your devices. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it's wrong for your kid to have a tablet. I'm, I'm not saying that. It's not wrong for you to, you don't, like, never look at your phone when you're at home. I'm not suggesting that. But you know when it's affecting it, right? You know when it's getting to a point where it can become very frustrating, I think we exasperate kids when we shame them, when the messages that they receive from us about themselves are that they're messed up, worthless, that they can never measure up. Their basic identity becomes formed around a horribly wounded self-image, and that can be something that leads to a bitter, seething anger. I think we exasperate our kids when there's a general inconsistency about us. When one day, because we're having a good day, they can do whatever they want. And the next day, because it went bad at work, we're fighting with our spouse, or we just lost a bunch of money in the market, or whatever it might be that triggers it for you. They get some riot act because they forgot to pick up that one toy. And yesterday the house was a mess and you didn't care because it was a good day. But today they're an easy mark. They're an easy target. I've been there too, guys. Ladies, all of us. That sort of general inconsistency. That idea of being unreasonable or being very difficult to please. That can be super exa- exasperating for our kids. When they do something, then that which you notice is what they didn't do. When they complete something, but that which they notice is, or that which you notice is what isn't absolutely 100% correct. Of course, we elicit this kind of exasperation and anger if we happen to be abusive to our children. What about if we're cold or unaffectionate? What about if mom and dad are divided? That can be super frustrating for kids. Now, it can be frustrating to them as well, and our kids experience this when mom and dad were united, and they're like, man, I can't play them against one against the other, right? I get that. But sometimes it can be super confusing and that, and whether it's a situation where mom and dad are, are married and living in the same house and, or it could be an, an issue of divorce and remarriage where mom and dad now, the biological mom and dad are, are, are not you know, living together anymore and, and the challenges that, 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 that come alongside that in staying united as you raise these children so that they're not exasperated by the, the, the two kind of you know, uh, approaches to parenting. I think we exasperate our kids when we're never their advocate. We're always their critic. And I think we can exasperate our kid when we don't provide them the proper resources for life, whatever those resources might be. Now, I don't know how many examples those were seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever it was. You might already have one that's much better and applies more directly to your family situation. I just want you to be reminded of this call to, that we're not t- to do this, right? Not provoking them to anger, not exasperating our children, not getting them to that place of bitter rage where they're simply out of their mind. Paul goes on to say then, what is it that we are to do? In verse four, uh, the end of it, instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So the first thing that we embrace is this idea of holistic training? Holistic training. Hol- uh, I say holistic training because the word uh, that, that we translate into uh, this this instruction in in the in the English Bibles is uh, "paideia," and this word means the comprehensive training and education of children. It includes the cultivation of of mind, of morals. It's the training and care of the body. It includes instruction, disciplinary correction, and nurture. It's an all-in, comprehensive, total approach to this child's development. It's training by act and, and, and discipline. It's, it's helping them to grow in their entire being. It's investing in them, in their entire being, so that whatever they need, you're providing that sort of leadership in all these aspects of their entire being so that they can grow into the person that God wants them to be. And the second thing that we're called to embrace, and uh, it's again, I think the adjectives here are as important as, uh, as, the, as the word that follows them. So holistic training and gentle admonishing. Nuthesia is the next word that, was, that we uh, uh, oftentimes translate admonition. It means to, to call attention to, and, and it means it's, it's related. Basically, if you break the word down literally, it means to put into someone's mind. And so it is calling attention to or by implication then a mild rebuke or warning. It means that it's training by word of both encouragement as well as time's of reproof. It can, oftentimes it's translated in our English Bibles, admonition. This is um, kind of the, the milder term of the two. So this term, the the second term, the neuthesia, is one that is a little, that kind of like balances out paideia. Because in, in Paul's day, the idea of paideia was that it was almost, it was a very, how do I want to say it, very uh, the word oftentimes is translated into our English Bibles, chastening. It's, it's a little bit more on the harsh side, okay? And, it, and it's and recognizing that there are times when parents have to take that very strong stance on things. And so Paul recognizes that. Now, I would say this. In the ancient world, in the Greek and Roman world, to which, Paul, of course, Paul is, is living in this kind of world, in the Greek and Roman world, they were incredibly harsh with their children. Basically, children were literally beaten into submission. That was the ancient way for Greeks and Romans. And in fact, fathers—and this sounds—I know this sounds horrible—but fathers didn't, weren't responsible for their children until they had decided that that child was actually going to be their child. So, prior to birth, that woman's a uh, pregnancy in the Greek and Roman world could be terminated. After birth, after the child was born, if the father saw some sort of defect, deformity, or just didn't want them around anymore, there was a period of time in which they could basically reject the child, abandon the child, and the child would be left to its own devices. So it was a, it was a brutal environment. Now, in the, in the Jewish And Christian world, it was not nearly to that degree what Paul is writing and, and, he, and he understands this idea in what, in the ancient world, what, what they would have been thinking as it relates to this comprehensive training of children. But he also, at the same time, he wants them to understand as they're doing this and as they're making those sometimes very difficult decisions, as they're engaging with, with discipline and training and instruction of their children, that he also understands the importance of being there alongside in a milder, sort of gentler, encouragement. Encouraging, exhortating way. And so Paul balances out the two, and he, and, he, and, he, and he does so, again, he wants this to happen for us to train and instruct them in the Lord, which the last thing I want to remind you of as we think about, again, how am I exasperating my kids, recognizing those by the, asking God by the power of his Holy Spirit to not take you in that direction, but instead training and instructing them in the Lord. We have to be walking with the Lord as parents if we're going to train someone else and instruct someone else as to what that looks like. We as parents can't take our kids to a place that we are not. And I understand our kids will have their own spiritual journey and maybe they'll shoot right past us. And that's great. That's awesome. But when we're in those, especially those formative years, we have to be very, very conscious that our, again, are we going to be perfect examples? No, I said that. We're not going to be perfect. But we want to be a living example to them of of what a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ looks like. Not bringing them to this place of exasperation, excuse me, frustration, this almost out of their minds kind of place, but instead involved in the comprehensive training and instruction of our kids. Providing both that encouragement and, yes, at times, rebuke. Providing, at times, those, uh, those, those choices that we make when it has to be something beyond words, whatever those disciplinary methods that we choose to use where, when uh, 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 the words aren't going to be enough, whatever kind of a retribution there might be, and I understand that's part of that parenting, and Paul recognizes that, but at the same time, providing that nurture and encouragement and exhortation at the same time, with alongside. So, discipline and affirmation, two sides of the same coin of what it really means to be a parent who's living this out. So, again, I hope again, that in, in this. Quick summary, we just tried to take one verse, give you a little, give you a little bit of info, info on this. Hopefully you can do a deeper dive. Hopefully God can open this up even further for you, certainly at any time if you have questions. Reminder to those of you who are dads, again, becoming the man that God created you to be is certainly a wonderful way to grow in that relationship of what it means to be the, the father that he's designed you to be as well. So I commend that uh, resource to you. Um, Before we go any further, uh, we have one thing we're going to do in terms of commissioning our team that's headed to Alaska really soon, on August 3rd, I believe the date is. But before we do that, I'm going to invite them up in just a couple of minutes. But I'd like to just pray uh, on this moment for this particular topic right now before we uh, bring them up and pray for them. Father God, thank you for being the perfect parent for us. (laughs) And God, there are no perfect parents here and there are people who are not yet parents but someday will be, they're not going to be perfect either. We've completely and totally recognized that. But we also, Lord, hear the call that you've given to us as parents. We see what Paul shared with the people living in Ephesus, same way in which he did also, Lord, to those in Colossae. And we know, God, that it is only by having this submissive attitude, this submissive posture, as well as the power of your Holy Spirit, that we can be the moms and be the dads that our children need us to be. And so God, again, not in any way uh, in terms of of, um, trying to bring guilt on any of us, but instead, Lord, by by your grace, would you help us to lean into this calling so that we're not bringing our kids to that place of exasperation, but instead we're training and instructing them in the way of Jesus. We commit that to you, God, and I pray that we would would just uh, receive that challenge and by faith walk in it, and not in our own strength, but in the power of your Holy Spirit, live it out for the betterment of our families and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, uh, uh, the, that we have a team of people, and you've been hearing about that, that are headed to Alaska uh, soon. Um, uh, just a reminder that there is like kind of like a general prayer letter as to everything that they'll be doing. and ways in which you can pray for them. This is located at the uh, the Welcome Center that's right uh, on the other side of that wall directly behind you. So you can pick up a copy of that so that you can pray for them through their time there. Uh, We have uh, some members of that team. A few, I believe, are here today. If you are here today, if you would kind of make your way up on the stage, there are some members of that team that are also in Puerto Rico. There are some members of the team that are on vacation. Of course, it's that season of the year. But I think we have at least five or six members of the team. Yeah, they're going to come. On, come on up. So we're going to make the, and I think we have a picture of them too, right? Of the team. And I don't even think that's the entire team, but that gives you a, a little bit broader uh, picture of Combined the, pardon me? Combined. Combined with solid rock. Absolutely. Come on up guys. Come here to the middle where they can see you. Come in the light. Come into the lights. <laughs> there you go. Good. Awesome. So again, um, we will continue to, you know, uh, help you know how, how to best pray for them. But check out that prayer letter. Um, continue to, to just lift them up in prayer. Uh, one of our team members' moms, so Emma Prong's mom, Sybil Vote is going to lead us in prayer for the team. And so we appreciate Sybil being willing to do that. So as we pray together for the team and kind of dismiss as well, why don't you stand with us as Sybil leads us in that. Go ahead, Sybil. Thanks.
1: God we love you imperfectly but we love you and this team of people loves you and wants to serve you and honor you as they head to Alaska next weekend. Please bless them with robust health and energy. Give them restoring sleep at night so they can work hard and with enthusiasm. Please help them see each person they are serving with your compassionate and gracious eyes. Please give them success as they help serve behind the scenes during the conference. Please bless the time and energy they are giving and help them work side by side with joy and in unity. Mm -hmm. Lord God, you alone are the source of strength and wisdom. In your name, Jesus, I ask that you will bless this team with that strength and that wisdom for the work ahead. Remind them often of your presence and availability to guide and help them mm. with every situation. And thank you in advance, Father, for all that you will accomplish in the lives of the Send North missionaries who will be attending this conference. Mm-hmm. You are always, always, always doing good eternal things, and it's a privilege that you would mm-hmm. use us to accomplish those things. May this trip to Alaska be an offering of worship to you and a chapter of growth in the life of each person serving. Yes. In your powerful and precious and perfect name, Jesus. Amen.
0: Awesome. Amen. Thank you, Sybil. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. We'll see you soon.